Hello and welcome to the Automotive Anecdotes podcast from Automotive Tales. Your regular chat about all things on four wheels that your other friends just don't want you to talk about. hosts john at john msm on all social media platforms and i'm martin at bob clayton on instagram i still have not worked out twitter and of course we are joined by our regular series one guests as well we have uh, greg the yorkshire engineer on twitter but i haven't figured out instagram yet and <laughs> chris uh underscore chris norton underscore on instagram and uh, i'm not bothered about twitter Perfect underscore. Uh, <laughs> so before we start, uh, we should probably just explain once again, hopefully you all tune into episode one, but the format of today, we're going to ask our guests an initial question that could be first, worst, best, current, cheapest, dumbest, most expensive. It could be any question along that uh, sort of scale with regards to their first car or first car, a car. Uh, we're going to have a discussion about a question point for the day and then we're going to finish with uh, the new game that is sweeping the nation, Barge Bingo, and it is probably my favourite one uh, this episode. So let's get straight into it and see if we can uh, beat the timings for episode one, which uh, was yeah, definitely yeah, what I mean, we were playing. It went, went well. So yeah, it's half hour <laughs> podcast. It was an hour, an hour and ten minutes. <clears throat> it will hopefully have been edited down. But uh, so. Guys, let's let's get straight into it. We asked you about your first car, and obviously we we had the the heartbreaking uh, disappointment that only one of them still exists uh, when we spoke about first cars. Um, so on that same sort of tangent, what were people's worst cars? Anybody want to kick us off with the worst car that you've ever owned? Go on then. I, I will start. Um, so the worst car I ever had was one I actually took in part exchange. For uh, for a car I, I regret Any selling, <laughs> um, and it was it was a Vauxhall Disaster. Um, so it was a uh, it's like the bubbly shape, the second or third generation. Um, it was it was you know resale silver, um, really very boring. One point four eight valve. Uh, it was just hideous. The guy that gave it to me in Partex for the BMW had put these nasty seventeen inch wheels on it that were curb to high hell every time you tried to pull away because it was designed to have little 14 inch steel wheels on it the clutch just couldn't cope with it and you could feel it creaking under the strain of the extra damage of the wheels it was horrible and then it started overheating um but ironically being the worst car it also turned out to be one of the most fun cars because i tried to sell it i fixed a few bits on it i got rid of the stupid wheels and sold them and put some standard box wheels on it um and one person sold it on eBay. They came to look at the car and they just went, I can't even bring myself to drive it and walked away. <laughs> like, right. And it literally sold for like £300. And this person was just like, no, I have too much self-respect. To drive <laughs> crap. And I was like, what are we going to do with it? So um, uh, with my fellow friends at the Motor Club at University, we decided as we had a freshers fair coming up, what better way to entice the freshers to join our merry group of mentalists um than to turn it into the first voxel disaster convertible um slightly misguided because you, what we should have done is cut across the roof above the windscreen but instead uh my friend andy got a bit uh cut happy with the angle grinder at the bottom of the a pillar so we just went across from the top of the bonnet right the way across a b and c pillar took the roof off as a wanner uh and then that got used for various pranks we we buried it in in the grass outside one of the university entrances for a while so it looked like that car had sunk into the grass um and then the remnants of it we welded the doors up welded the bottom half of the boot on uh and we we drove around campus for a little while until uh campus security told us we, yeah. we shouldn't be doing that uh, but we had an awful lot of fun with it so the first question that really comes from all of that is uh you're, you're not a car dealer so what made you part do part exchange on a BMW? And let's 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 skip over the fact you just sold a BMW for a Vauxhall, but that's fine. 
Oh, with, so with good reason. So this was uh, my my second car. It was a BMW E28 520i. I think we actually mentioned it in yes. the last episode. Um, and I needed rid of it quite swiftly because I had made a small upgrade. And actually, Greg, you were involved in this. I said uh, it was. I twice. Um, we'd done a little road trip to somewhere in somewhere the M25 in London uh, to pick up a purchase that I'd, I'd been bidding on, not really expecting to win on eBay, uh, which was... Uh, another BMW E28 in Zinnabar Red, but this time something a little bit more interesting. It was an M535i, um, and I hurriedly needed to make space and money uh, to cover the uh, slightly increased insurance at the age of, <laughs> what would I have been there? I've been about 19, 20, I think, when I got the M535. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was just desperate, and he said, oh, well, Partex for this, so I got me some money, and then I sold the wheels. It had a cherry bomb exhaust on it as well, so I sold that heap of nastiness um and yeah just it was to fund my m535 habit i will say because it became right. a habit uh say so greg greg came on more than one road trip yeah. picking up rusty bmws um so i think we're safe to say that that astra um you 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 went a good way to make sure it wouldn't stay in the world um presumably it's no longer with <laughs> yes it got scrapped uh <laughs> fairly shortly after that okay fair enough greg what have you got to bring to the table uh, well, it's, it, I had an interesting dilemma with this because I think in the last episode I mentioned about my Fiat Brava, but I can't really say that was the worst car, even though it probably probably was in in terms of dynamics and bits and pieces. But that that car took me so far and did so many miles uh, and got me out of so many situations. I can't really dish it. So the car I'm bringing to the table is uh, I had a bit of a wobble while I was in one of my jobs at Bristol, uh, and I ended up with a Kia Seed. Uh, by, by wobble did you mean that you have a uh, you became a bit unhinged and you decided I, I, have no, idea. <laughs> I have no idea why I went down that road really I think I was probably being the tight Yorkshireman it was a 1.6 diesel cheap to tax cheap to run and fundamentally you said that the, the car was w- w- was fine it did the job it was well kitted for a key you know so seven year warranty they had an apostrophe mm. in its name I mean what more do you did it I did apostrophe in its name but for a car that just had no fun factor at all, uh, didn't excite, gave me a bad back. Uh, the seat's that bad? They were just uncomfortable. They just weren't mm. good. You know, don't get me wrong, the drivetrain was spot on. It did the job. But it just, yeah. It, it, there, was it, nothing, it, there was nothing there. There was no yeah. Z factor. You did make it. good use of the, uh, was it the unlimited oh, mileage warranty? Yeah, the warranty. <laughs> and that was the other fact that I actually ended up getting rid of it. I probably did turn it into the worst car was the clinching factor was I had one of the very first of the last generation seeds off the production line off the back of the 2012-2013 production run my garage near the number plate off before I'd even uh, got to that part of the conversation with them when they rang up I ironed out so many faults with the Fortex seed because they'd never seen one before they got to about four pages on their system for faults <laughs> and a lot of it was electrical stuff uh, and, and I think that was the other factor about it was it was the amount of times I spent going in mm. to sort small faults. There weren't big faults that stopped the car. There were small faults. Interestingly, one of them which I flagged four years ago has just been released as uh, an international recall. <laughs> Amazing. By Kia. Uh, for so if you're sitting at home without your car because it's had to go in the garage for a recall and it happens to be a Kia Seed, yeah, uh, it's Greg's fault. Right. Sorry. So, yeah. Uh, it, it just had lots of little warranty faults. It was the first of a new car. I just because I was doing high mileage, ironed a lot of them out. Spent yeah. a lot of time off. But yeah. It was also just a bit of a dull car, really. And so what I, did you do with it? I partexed it for the Mazda three that we've got now. What uh, did they cut the roof off it? No, <laughs> interestingly, it, from what I understand, it disappeared into Europe somewhere. Oh, okay, Very bizarre. Not to be a test subject for other Kia dealers. Mileage accumulation. I have have no idea. Fair enough. Well, I have two things on that then. So I need you to cast your mind back to driving that Kia. Okay, you're there on the motorway. And I'm just going to hark back to episode one. You need to pull out because there's a lorry doing 56. What side were the indicators? Standard side. Left hand side. Interesting. So... At that mm. point, because the seed was seed, actual seed stands yeah. for uh, European development, something, something European development. But that so, meant at some point, Hyundai and Kia weren't consistent with each other. 
But I don't know how you check because the i30 is the comparable. Yeah, that well, you're right. That is make. true. If anybody here owns a Hyundai i30 from 2030, 20... yeah, please uh, ring in. Um, call us on uh, live. No, we can't do that, can we? <laughs> uh, tweet us uh, at Automotive Tales. Uh, please tell us. Let, let us know. Um, it must be said it, with the Kias, by the way, the warranty. Um, so I've got. A, I had a friend that um, bought a. Uh, what would have been sort of the 2010 one of the first editions of the Kia Sportage mm. or Sportage um, <laughs> you know the one that when it came out it was a very radical looking car for what it was you know it was great and, and for Venice, better or worse yeah yeah I mean the first editions in Venice they had heated seats front and rear they had a rear view camera in the mirror it was actually quite a clever car and he got to it being six and a half years old. So we're talking, it was a 60 plate. So what are you talking? So at the beginning of 2011, I think this was. And then to the beginning of 2018, he found that both the rear doors were starting to bubble at the top. And Kia, in fairness to them, replaced the doors. At seven years, just coming up to seven years old, yeah. under that seven-year warranty, yeah. they replaced the rear doors. So that it does seem that they, you know... They, they, they do. I can't knock them. Everything I put them in for, they did. Yeah. Paint... Shock absorbers, electrical stuff, all sorts. So, I mean, that doesn't doesn't rectify the fact it's dull, though, does it? No. So did your Mark, did your Mark II seat become a Mark two and a half seat by the time they've replaced everything? Uh, potentially, yeah. <laughs> there we go. But, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, it's like Trigger's broom. Yeah. Reference. So we've got a, we've got a car from the nineties, a car from the two thousand and tens. Chris, what can you bring to the table? My worst car. So uh, this, like many of my cars, is a bit of an amusing story. So um, my worst car was a 1999 Renault Clio 1.2. I was potentially looking for a kind of first car, something that I could drive once I passed my test. I was still in uni at the time, so I thought I'll get something something cheap to run. Um, And I don't mind doing a little bit of work to it before before I need to use it. Um, So I'd heard about... Uh, a friend of mine who wanted to get rid of a, a Renault Clio, um, and uh, he said, "You know, give me. You know, I, I'm going to get rid of it. You know, make me an offer. I can't refuse." So I, I went and had a look at it. It was parked up in um, my friend's yard at the time. Took it out for a bit of a drive, and um, yeah, it was okay actually. Uh, and uh, I, I saw him again the next weekend and said, um, "Went down there and." And I said, so, um, you know, what what do you want for it? And he said, oh, you know, made me an offer. And I said, scrap value was quite high at the time. So I said, you know, what about 80 quid? Oh, you know, right. it was, it was, a, uh, yeah, uh, it, was, it was about 80 quid. Uh, and he was like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's too much money. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, uh, I say you want to negotiate. No, don't give me that much money. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Okay. The car's not that good. <laughs> so um, he said... Uh, what about 50 quid? And I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> Knowing full well that that was actually less than scrap value. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I bought this Clio for 50 quid. Um, my my cousin ended up crashing his um, Clio, his Mark II Clio as well. Um, and I ended up rebuilding or pinching a lot of the good bits out of it. Mine was an absolute base spec, complete poverty spec. Um, had nothing good on it right. uh, and my cousins had quite a lot of options so I transferred them across all the radio and the infotainment and all that kind of stuff because the car was just sat in a field it had been crashed um, so uh, the goal at that point um, was to just get it on the road and, and whatever um, that didn't happen it kind of sat around for a bit at my parents place uh, and then one day a friend and I decided that it would now become a field car. So we, we ragged it around my parents' field doing sort of handbrake turns and all sorts of stuff like that. And um, we also decided that uh, it'd be quite fun to give it a new paint job. So we went to Halfords and we bought various paints and aerosols and masking tape and whatever. And we right. painted flames all uh, down the side <laughs> and across the bonnet um, 
and and stuff like that, and uh, that was quite amusing. All the best cars have flames down them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it was a fifty quid car. It was kind of it's just a bit of fun, really. At some point, I'm going to do an automotive tales video on Andy Bauer and his Mark II Escort that oh, started yeah. life with flames, flames on. Flames on, yeah. But just... they ended up coming off because the insurance company wouldn't insure it with the flames on it. Have to repaint and take them off. Really? How bizarre! That sounds odd. like uh, Richard Hammond's Porsche 924 from that classic. Top Gear Porsche. So that car presumably is absolutely reliable and here with us still today. Uh, No, actually. So what what actually happened with the Clio is um, I was going to give it to a friend of mine who lived on a farm and was going to turn it into another field car and strip it out and just have some fun with it. Um, To get it to his house, uh, it didn't have an MOT. Uh, I booked it into the nearest MOT garage near him uh, and said, if if it fails, uh, you can have it for nothing. Right. Uh, it actually passed. The guy, much to his credit, uh, went above and beyond the Call of Duty to get it through, including ragging the absolute Jesus out of it to get it through the emissions. Uh, <laughs> at which point it overheated and spilled its coolant everywhere. Is this how little he wanted to keep this clear? <laughs> well, I think it... It made him laugh that it had flames and all sorts up it, and he just wanted to see it on the road. Incredible. So, and, and actually, it turns out uh, this MOT tester I know him quite well now, and he MOTs all, all of my cars. Undisclosed location, <laughs> um, but basically it passed. So I said to my mate, "Well, I need to do some work to my Volvo over the winter. Do you mind if I just drive it over winter, and then you can have it?" Um, I ended up slamming it on some. Um, uh, some cheap lowering springs uh, absolutely decked it on the floor which <laughs> which which made it really prone to snap oversteer uh, or lift off oversteer it was quite terrible actually right. um, anyone who knows Clio's know that they like to sort of um, they have reasonably soft front suspension they like to sort of cock a leg if you sort of throw them in and they're, they're quite nice handling cars as standard whereas this is, was slammed on the floor and it was quite stiff so when you sort of threw it in, if you were to make the mistake of lifting off, it would just flick the back end out quite... Pirouette. Yeah, <laughs> almost attempt to do a pirouette. So I had some interesting experiences with that. How many times did you put it in a hedge? Uh, none, actually. None. But I had a few close calls, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> a, a few... A few uh, underwear, please. <laughs> well, a few, a few moments where you don't expect that to happen because you're driving a front-wheel drive car. And uh, a few moments of kind of flapping at the steering wheel (laughs) (laughs) correct and go the other way anyway so if i can sum up the um the fate of that car is it did eventually get given to to my friend and at that point we unlowered it and we turned it into a kind of off-road clear so we we chopped the wheel arches out um we lifted it back up um and we built like a tube front bumper for it um (laughs) it ended up yeah, it was a ridiculous um, uh, car. But in the end, uh, a friend of mine decided that it was a great idea to finish off doing some of the welding with the car running. I think it might have knackered the ECU um, right. and uh, yeah, eventually it got scrapped. Okay, so we're, we're up to two, two scrapped, one probably still alive somewhere. The seed, in the seed is somewhere in the world we hope still running. Um, well, my, my 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 worst car is one that I feel really bad putting in as a worst car because it was just that car that was bad until I say, and then you'll all agree that they're all terrible. I want another go with one of these one day. So I ended up buying... It was so I, bad you want to do it again. Yes. <laughs> well, I uh, there was a point in my life where I worked for the UK's leading car supermarket. And uh, as part of the deal of working there you were able to buy part exchanges through their in-house auction um uh, i'm sure anyone in the most traders probably had a an interesting encounter with auction for cars uh which was motorpoints uh, uh auction brand um and i spotted all the way over in newport south wales was an mg zt the mm. mg's rover 75 equivalent um, the first of the facelifts, so it, was a, it, was a, it was a 54 plate, so it was... They changed the headlights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The headlights met up again, presumably to save, save cost, uh, and all the materials <laughs> yeah. inside were pretty shoddy. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately it was, and this is where it gets, this is where the problem was, it was the 1.8 uh, 
uh, one twenty brakes. It was the it was the second one point eight that this car had had, and this was in twenty eleven, oh, so it was a seven year old car. Um, I bought it for the princely sum of three hundred pounds. Um, it had a DVD player in the roof that didn't work. Uh, in the roof, in the, it, it came out of the roof. It was in the back, in the back. Trying to came, came, came from the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Um, was that factory? Uh, no, it was def- no, definitely same. aftermarket. But it had been wired in properly, and the DVDs you put in in the boot, like you would a CD changer at the time, and it had a CD changer in the boot as well. Um, and it had spent, it had started its life. Um, so it sat on uh, Hampshire Place, but it actually started its life by being out in Germany. It was um, an uh, a forces car. It forces was, um, car, yeah. Okay. So it, it spent its life in the first few years in Germany, and it had an ge- impeccable German service record, as you'd expect. Uh, and then came back to the UK and had a pretty shoddy life by the looks of it. Um, Checking the, Yeah, <laughs> the, the refurbished engine um, essentially failed on day 91 of the 90-day warranty, so the head gasket <laughs> went on that again. Uh, at the same time, it became very apparent that there was uh, a fault in uh, MGs and Rovers of that time that uh, there was huge... A fault? A fault. A fault. Well, it was quite a killer one because there was a lot of leakage in the back of the car through the rear, the rear taillights. Uh, went into the spare wheel well of course there wasn't a spare wheel in there not that anybody checks um, and unfortunately uh, as I found out to my horror that if you park them facing downhill that water will get to the front of the car eventually <laughs> um, which in the end effectively um, got into the alternator broke the alternator um, believe it or not it, th- it travelled through the car into the front of the car and essentially broke the electrics at the front. It shorted something out on the way out. It shorted something on the way out. So even if I wanted to replace the engine, which there was no point doing, um, I couldn't. Um, so the, the, the bottom line was it just it just wasn't feasible to repair. The reason I say that I want another go is because my one of the cars I'd love to have a go with in the future is getting hold of one of the V8 uh, Rovers or MGs. With oh, the Mustang, yeah, the, the ZT, the, the rear-wheel drive. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I'd love to have a go because I think the car's... The, the Rover had a problem where the initial ones of those, so if you look at sort of 98, 99, when the 75 came out, they were actually really decent quality BMW parts bin yeah. cars. Uh, and then they stripped, you know, uh, Phoenix Consortium's plan was to strip them out and replace all the wood with plastic and replace all the leather with plastic and replace all the plastic with anything else that's more brittle. <laughs> and it was, you know, and that was the problem with those cars. Those old cars, yeah. 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 And, it, you know, and it is a showman. I have to agree with you on that one because I've seen a couple about, and they're really coveted. You know, you look at the 75, particularly the Connoisseur models with that BMW engine in. They're so coveted now, people will go a long distance yeah. to buy them yeah. in good condition. And they're a lovely, yeah. you know, I've, I've been in one briefly, and albeit I found it a little cramped inside. They're a nice car. They are. They are. It was. It was a fine. It, it drove well as well. In fairness, and you know what? Even that. En- even the one point eight was still. It, on the face of it, it, was quite a fun engine, but it was yeah. just not reliable. The K series was fundamentally yeah. a good engine. Yeah. Just some shoddy parts in terms of head but gaskets and build quality. The, the BMW diesel sourced engines that are in the uh, uh, well were in the range all the way through. Still holds, so, you know. You, if you buy a good condition one, there's still a few thousand. We're still talking thousands for some of these wow. sort of early diesel sort powered rovers um, because they were bulletproof in the same way they were bulletproof in the, in the you know the, the, the BMWs of the time. But um, the the one the one caveat I will add to it because I appreciate uh, we're already doing well for keeping these podcasts at a good length. Um, I want to give an honourable mention to my family um, from a from a. Um, army perspective so my my granddad was uh in the army but not necessarily in the uk so they would get re- he spent a lot of time out in singapore um and various sort of other parts of the world um but what it meant is when he came back to the uk he couldn't guarantee that he'd be there for long so he fell out with ford because it was a 10-week wait for an escort at the time he wanted a brand new he'd always buy a brand new car um yeah. and 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 he he couldn't wait for an escort so he'd go and buy whatever car was available at the time so <laughs> My grandparents' car history consists of uh, a Moscovich. If you've ever heard of a Moscovich, amazing. Uh, three Larders, 
one of which got destroyed by a tree and cut the back off and the larger dealer still came and picked it up with fuel dripping down the road and went, yeah, we'll fix that. They didn't keep it. Uh, and then three Nissan Micras in red, white and blue, which were the three colours available Did at the time. Did he have them at the same time? Red, white, at and the same time, red. swapped between him and his two daughters, my mum and oh, really? my aunt. Yeah, so yeah. like the, the Italian job. Yeah, they used micros. And they used more to, reliable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they used to rotate them and my mum kept the white one up until 2000 and two so they, they ran quite well but it's a so an honorable mention to them because uh they they've had the most russian cars that i know about were they the boxy micros or they were the bubble micros? yeah no the boxy ones so was these K-11? were 11 that's it K yeah. so this was yeah. they, the ones they had they were, were great two, machines. two 1987 models and then a 1990 model as well they, they replaced oh that'd be a k10 then oh would it k10? yeah k10 i i have a funny story then about the k10 yeah um I don't think we've actually gone, so I won't spoil any future. It was the cheapest car I ever bought I didn't actually pay for. I received a Micra K10 uh, in exchange for a part for another vehicle. Yeah. Uh, an ashtray for an Audi Coupe. What? <laughs> uh, a friend of mine had bought one and it was missing the ashtray and I got one. I was taking it apart for bits. And he was like, oh, I could really do with the ashtray. And I was like, yeah, help yourself. He said, like, what do you want for it? I don't know, fiver, buy me a pint, something like that. He's like, do you want a Micra? You what? He's like, yeah, I've got a micro need rid of. You can have it in exchange for the uh, the ashtray. It's like, yeah, sold. It's legal tender, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's legal tender, an ashtray. What, what is the price of that good, sir? Well, that'll be the price of one micro. One yeah, micro. One micro to you, sir. Um, and I feel really bad about this because at the time it, it was literally a worthless car, hence the trade. Yeah. Um, and we were like, oh, well, let's let's see what it takes to kill a car. As you go through, maybe didn't have enough um, mechanical sympathy at the time. And we threw so much at that car. And could we kill it? Could we? <laughs> we tried and tried and tried. Eventually, it went to the scrapyard, a running car. And we, and we did everything to it. Like, we, we took the radiator out, ran it without a radiator. Uh, I think somebody even poured grit into the engine, and it still ran. Happy as Larry. <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that, because the, the K10 that my mum ran until 2002 only stopped running because, uh, I'm harking back to episode one, got, uh, she went into the back of the car that had a tow bar attached to it. And obviously a Micra, and uh, I, I can't remember what car it was, a Land Rover or something, had the tow bar on, obviously was going to win. Um, still ran, drove it home, the insurance company said, no, we're, we're, we're going to get, we're going to scrap this one. And she was given the princely sum of £1,500 for this Micra. That's pretty good. She That's could not going. have got if she'd have, so as far as she was concerned, she'd actually just, you know, quite exchanged it wisely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, yeah. Um, so, uh, just to sort of summarise there, of course, the MG also was scrapped, which means that uh, bonus points, Greg, for having, we think, the only running worst car uh, yeah. still. Running running in terms of existing, because it might be in the garage for something, so we'll, 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 we'll yeah. wait to see. Still under warranty. So, that was great. Thanks, guys. So... Today's discussion is going to be a little bit um, different, and uh, it, it, it'll be an interesting one because I think it's something that uh, at least seventy-five percent of us have experienced in our lifetime. It's um, it, 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 it's also quite interesting because a hundred percent of us don't have children. But um, let's talk about estates, estate wars, um, or station wagons, or tourings, depending touring. on your flavour. Yeah, and, and we mean proper estates. We're not talking about the just to get a little bugbear out of the way. You grinds my gears uh, but <laughs> things like Fiat Doblos and Citroen Berlingos are listed as estates anyway we're talking proper, proper estates proper estate yeah. cars so first of all uh, and to, to kick you all off um, and I'm, I'm going to I'm going to head this to sort of your directions please um, why is it that estate cars uh, uh, we've all owned them what, what why what, what is They're it cool. that means you end up having them when we don't there's something about a long roof isn't there it's just they just look cooler than a saloon I think there's also, for me, there's an element of Yorkshireman in it. And the reason I say that is the... You know, you more look, car for your money, more exactly. steel. Yeah, <laughs> basically. More resources, but, really. And this, point, and this is something I actually was going to have noted for episode one with the grinding gears is, you know, why spend more money on an SUV that's jacked up, that's got a smaller boot space? Yes, you're a couple of foot higher, but you've got less interior space, you've got less boot space... And when you're someone like me who actually owns two dogs and has to get them in the boot, wants to get stuff on the roof, bikes on the roof, moves around with the military, the estate just does it all. It's practical uh, and for cheaper. No. And being lower to the ground, it handles better than an SUV. 
Well, there we go. So that concludes the state. Wasn't that's it. That's actually done. <laughs> so actually, well, go, going around the table because yeah, I was I was going to say that I I actually I'm definitely in the minority here, but I am not an estate person. I've I've never owned an estate. Um, I actually purposefully don't buy them because I don't. Well, it's not that I don't like them. Uh, I appreciate that they're very useful and I appreciate their function, but. Um, I will always go for the the saloon version or the coupe version or, or whatever else is available above the estate version because I don't think that they look that good. Ooh. So let, let the lynching begin. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I had done a sort of a precursor list of kind of my favourite estates in kind of chronological order, but I'm going to jump down the list to one which is quite evocative, uh, where I think the estate is significantly better looking. Um, just because I think it's balanced very well. So I'm going to pose it to you, Chris. Yeah, do. BMW E34 M5 Ooh. as a Touring. Tell me that isn't a fabulous no, you're machine. Right. The, the Touring is better than the Saloon, looks-wise. Mm. But what about the Legacy 159? The Sport Wagon was always deemed as being the prettier yeah. car to the Saloon. I prefer yeah. the Saloon. Okay, interesting. Mm. I, I mean... If we're talking legacies, uh, four nine nine five will get you a very nice. Uh, yeah, it will do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah this this uh, this topic didn't at all come off the back of uh, looking at estate cars at for sale and going, "Ooh, ooh I like this." Or, like, but then, oh, I like this. And, and some companies have actually succeeded in it because you look at the XF Jag. Jaguar sell far more sport wagons now in the XF. Yeah, and that and is a car that I would have an estate for. It's interesting that I prefer that as a saloon. Ah. Mm. Ooh, okay. But for Jaguar, it worked out massively better. Mm. Yeah. No, it's weird, isn't it? Because it seems to have, it seems to have been a, a sort of um, a trend that went, went went away a little bit. And I think it's, it's important to recognise that uh, cars like the Mondeo, the Insignia, they don't sell in huge quantities that they used to anymore, particularly the Mondeo. But you have companies like Volkswagen with the Arteon Fastback and Peugeot with the 508. Fastback, mm. who have sort of redesigned the, to a coupe status. And I suppose the question is there, because I think Volvo had this problem as well with the V90. They're not as big as they used to be. So what have they lost part of that appeal? I don't know. What's... I don't know. I think for some companies, they, they, I think they're, they're having to trade off against SUVs. You know, you look at yeah. Peugeot with a 508. They've had so much success with the 3008, 2008 and Obviously, the bigger 5008. But the 3008 is it's a very popular selling model for Peugeot. And therefore, why would you make a 508 estate when you just can just turn around and say, well, you don't want the coupe slash saloon. Look at our SUV, which will do you need. I sort of get that for some companies. Yeah. However, other companies have stuck to the formula. And I think if you can get the formula right, I know I own a Mazda 6 estate. Uh, and for Mazda, that has worked well. It has sold well for them. Uh, Jaguar, the XF Sport Breakers, sold well for them. Uh, I think Vauxhall do just because it's practical and it's a bit of a fleet motor, if we're being honest, mm. in the market. And I think for a lot of companies that offers uh, value for money, particularly in terms of the BIK. I know Toyota are doing very well with the Corolla estate at the moment. Again, very good hybrid system, 2 litre mm. and 1.8. It's just, it just appeals to the company car market. So, so here's the interesting thing, and it sort of goes on from the, the fact that Volkswagen and Peugeot have, have sort of gone down the fastback route. You mentioned Vauxhall there. Obviously, I've got um, uh, I've got an Insignia uh, Grand Sport Tourer that they they've called it Tourer for a long time. Yeah, I want to mock you for that because, but I can't. I actually really like that car. Well, I'm, I didn't think I'd like it, and I, I, I genuinely can hand on heart say I bought it because it fits a budget after I've written off a car, and it fit it ticks all the boxes I needed at that exact time. And I really enjoy driving it. However, Vauxhall no longer produce it. They only do a hatchback insignia now. Mm. But they, they discontinued it at the facelift this year. Yeah. Uh, so uh, apparently due to lack of sales. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to put a vote in there for rarest car sat around the table. But then you have the SJ. So, yeah. it's, But it's it, it's interesting. that So that's failed as in that sense. In the same way maybe Mondeo's and uh, insignias as a whole are decreasing. So mm. are they just becoming more of a... A style over substance. I, I, I think Greg has hit the nail on the head, really, because it, most SUVs, if you think about it, it, the body shape and the practicality of it is in a estate car. It's just up on stilts. Mm. So I think you get into the boot as well. Yeah, so I think your estate car buyer is now your SUV. Mm. Oh, massively, buyer. particularly mm. with the family. You know, yeah. estates would have traditionally been the family, prams in the back, kids in the back, 
And I think the ease of getting kids in and out, that's where the SUV market has massively changed and disappeared. But I still can't get around why, uh, when you look at an equivalent SUV to say mine, so the CX-5 is the equivalent to the Mazda 6, uh, it's a smaller boot you're trading off. And for mm. me, that, that doesn't work. Yeah, I think, I guess the estate car world has changed a little bit because it used to be dominated by the very boxy square Volvos for the practicality. They were known as the... Um, as the antique dealer's car because you could get a two-seater Chesterfield and I have proved this and you can slide it into the back of a Volvo 850 put the boot down get in the front and do yeah. you know three figures on the old German autobahn um, I think with the aerodynamics of more modern estates especially those fastbacks you start to see the rear window sort of slanting in to help mm. with aerodynamics and actually that reduces the practicality because all of a sudden the roof is slanting in at the top when you're looking at it from the rear, mm. and then the rear deck is moving forward in the car, yeah. and all of a sudden your aperture isn't actually quite as useful for getting large objects in. Whereas in SUVs, I mean, they've got the aerodynamics of a you know housing block, um, so you know having a flat back doesn't actually matter that much because mm. it doesn't make a huge amount of difference. And I think the practicality therefore has stayed with that bigger form factor than the yeah. estate. But I think what I think what I think what is slightly disappointing for me, looking at just completely blue sky thinking as well, is that. Sadly, the estate car, if it was still popular, would also help with today's sort of parking and congestion. And, you know, we're talking about climate and stuff at the moment. And one of the big things I was thinking about the other day was, you know, your estate cars are generally more efficient than an SUV. Mm -hmm. They're cheaper to buy than an SUV. Their internal space is more than an SUV, particularly if you buy smart. Even if you go down to the small Skoda Fabio estate, that has got 500 and about 550 litres of boot space, mm. which is significantly bigger than pretty much all the SUVs out there. Rolling out the facts and figures, yeah, yeah, and yet, and yet, this is this is something that you could park easily in multi stories, nip through traffic, and it's a far more practical car. Or do 60 to the gallon with the right engine, and it's mm. a lot cheaper. But I think people have just got into this SUV trend, mm. and, yeah. and I have to say, as a bit of a hypocrite, having had an XC90, and I can see why. When yeah. I first got the XC90, it was a means to an end because the 850 had broken down. There's a whole, other, there's a whole video going to be coming on that. Um, I needed something for towing and something that would be practical for tools in the back and we ended up using on the fields and various other things. And it was very much a means to an end. Until I started driving it, I actually really quite liked driving that car. And it was an early, it was a 5606 plate um, XC90, so one of the very early ones. But that was a great car, and it, it was vast inside. Actually, that was that was on another level because it was a seven seater. Even with the seven seats up, I could still fit all my tools in the boot with the seven seats up. It was mind boggling. You put the, you put yeah exactly. You put the other two rows of seats down, mm. um, and we got the dining table. We're sitting at here, this and six chairs. And we thought, oh, we should get it in the XC90. We drove all up to Todmorden, slid all this all this furniture in. We're like. We could probably fit another one in. You, you, <laughs> mean, you, you mean the studio table we're sitting at? The here. studio, yeah, yeah the, the table yeah. for this uh, executive studio. Really. But how many car parks do you go in now where you can't get an SUV in a car parking slot? Yeah, well, yeah, the, the XC90 was a pain in the Or you see people park. creeping up a multi story because they're going, I don't know how high it is, and I can't even It's bad enough with modern cars in car park spaces because obviously they're, they're not getting any bigger. <laughs> uh, even yeah. when they build new car parks now, they make the car parking spaces the same size. So a lot of modern cars, it is. Creak the door open a little bit. Yeah, and, ooh, yeah. I mean, squeeze out. <laughs> where our studio is based, the, the road that uh, that we're on, the turning into the driveway here is incredibly tight. It's yeah. been designed around much smaller vehicles. Barely fit a Rolls Royce through it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the XC90 was a bit of a challenge to get down the road, whereas the new V60 we've got is much, much easier. I've been complaining to the council about that. About not being able to fit the yes. roller down. <laughs> Bloody first world problem. I cannot get my Rolls Royce down the road to my house. What are you going I to do about it? I demand that you widen the road. <laughs> uh, nothing, sir. Sod off. The spirit <laughs> of ecstasy, ecstasy should not be squeezed. The thing is a bit... And I, I, the more I think about it, the more odd it is in that, um, you know, estate cars... You mentioned the smaller ones there, Greg, and I want to go back to that because there was a time when um, so one of the car, one of the cars I hated with a passion throughout uh, their generations was two hundred six and two hundred seven SWs because I didn't understand oh, that. Yes. Oh, yeah. But they were small estates, 
and they've gone Persia, you know Peugeot and all in the sort so of, many ways yeah even Renault you know I don't think they even do a Meganis they might still do a Meganis state but they've got the Kajar it's, yeah the it's, it's SUVs fill the gap but, but then Mercedes are now coming out and saying right well you can have uh, an E-Class or if you don't want an E-Class you can have a stylish CLS but if you don't want a CLS uh, we, we'll do an A-Class with a boot and but but if you want an A-Class with an estate boot, we might even do you one of them as well. And it seems that, the, has it that small estates and things like that have just gone more, going back to what John said about them being more curved and more stylish, have they just become more premium? Is that? Uh, I don't know because one of the, uh, I think Skoda still sell it. I don't know if the Abifa estate is still around. I think Skoda's filled that market with the Fabia, but uh, there are still the niches for them smaller. You know, the Golf estate is still in production, the Fabio estate is still in production. You don't see many on the uh, road, though. Mm. The Golf estates you are starting to see more and more because people, I think, are filling the gap to the expense of the Passat because the Passat has got so big and so expensive, people have almost downsized. Yeah. Yeah, down because the Golf estate, as it currently is, is the same size as an original Passat. And it also yeah. fills the gap because the Octavia has got bigger. Yeah. You look at Skoda, the Octavia... How many Octavia estates do you see around? You and see a lot of them. Actually, I think you're on the money there, Martin, because it is that kind of premium market. Where are actually the big estate car sales? It's Mercedes. The BMW 3 Series is one of the most prolific estates. Yeah, so do the E, it's E90, E91, E92, and everyone which one's the estate. Um, E90, no, wait. E91 is the saloon, is it? 92 is the estate. 92 is the estate, yeah. I'll edit that. So the E92, <laughs> I totally knew which one that was. Yeah. Um, they're one of the most, I think, the most prolific estates out there. In fact, for the for the previous episode's um, car challenge, a £5,000 estate, two of the options I had were three series. One was an E46, one was an E92. Um, but I went for the Volvo because it's, you know, it's a Volvo. Mm. Um, but they're, I mean, they're prolific. They're everywhere. 320D yeah. estate is just, or touring, because it's, it's, it's a BMW. Yeah. Uh, they're just everywhere. It's and I think like hotcakes back in the, back yeah, in the day, absolutely. didn't they? Mm. Yeah. But that, that buyer, I think, or that, Mass market trend has definitely moved towards SUV. They're into you know BMW X3s or they're into yeah. um, you know Q3s and Q1s. And, yeah, and, yeah. Or, somebody in our village is a Q7. Because that's where I think Audi reckon. I think most of Audi's market from the A4 estates have gone. The A4 Avant mm. have all moved into sort of Q3s, yeah. Q1s, yeah, 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 which yeah. is that's it's sad because yeah. the first car on my my list of like my favorite estates starts with audi i think they yes. really i know volvo done estates for a lot longer but they did the first properly cooler than penguin pierce estate which was the audi rs2 mm. um that's cause... a great phrase <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's going to be very cold isn't it um so they took i mean that what a mad idea that was they took the audi coupe um which in S2 guys was a pretty quick car, five cylinder, twenty valve turbo, four wheel drive, great machine. And then they kind of handed it to Porsche and went, "What can you do with that?" And they came back with something that was so good, because at that time the VAG group included Porsche, they didn't put it to market as a coupe because it was too much of a competitor for the 911. So they would only allow Audi to produce it as an estate. So by some strange sort of management situation. You ended up with this ultimate performance Audi, which only came in a state. And it, the world kind of realised, well, wow, now that is cool. Um, and it's about the same time then Volvo started using the inline five. And we got the 850 and the 850T5 and all the things that come with it. And of course, but, you can't not talk about the Volvo 850 without going into... The touring cars. Mm -hmm. So and I think that's probably, there was a period of time that really put states on the map as being cool, um, was... Was Volvo in 1974? They went to British Touring Car uh, as a laughing stock, turning up with an estate until all of a sudden they realised it makes a very good roadblock. When someone taps the back corner and you hang it sideways through a, through an apex, you might have nudged them and slowed them down, but you can't get past because it's you've yeah, got yeah. this great big wall of Volvo in front of you. Okay. Um, and, and I mean, that's where my obsession with Volvo started. You know, we went and saw them racing at Donington Park with my dad. Uh, he bought me a little tiny model of it, which I've still got, uh, which I absolutely adore. And then, not long after that, he traded in his 740, I think it was, for a red T5 estate. And at that point, I just thought that was the coolest thing. My dad is driving a race car. I mean, I was, you know, I was only what, 12, 13 at the time. But to me, that's, that's what it was. Good, it was yeah. a race car. Yeah. Um, you know, race on Sunday, sell on Monday. Yeah. It, literally that simple. With the touring cars, am I right thinking then it wasn't until Honda 
put the Civic back correct. in as an estate. Now, I don't, I don't know whether uh, somebody on the comments would be able to correct me. I don't know whether they actually banned the estates in BTCC or whether Volvo just did it for one year just for a publicity stunt. But it was a long, mm. long time till the estate came back, which mm. I think is bizarre because it, theoretically it should be a bit better in terms of aerodynamics. Yeah. I think it's a long time to study aerodynamics. Just, just whether that compensates for the extra weight, really. Well, yeah, that's it. Indeed. That's it. You know, and and I've double checked with, so I have did check this before I'm with a lot of BTCC touring drivers. Uh, I spoke to uh, Tom Chilton. He said that he's never had to carry anything during a race, yeah. so they didn't need the boot space. Yeah, maybe it was just no, in '94 when they had to they had to carry that uh, that stuffed uh, teddy bear in the back. That was the, that was the reason. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I think it's an interesting, and I think it's one that will probably provoke um, conversation. In fact, what might be quite cool um, is is to sort of see. Well, we'll see. I suppose we'll see from the votes on the um, on, on, on from the from the previous podcast. We'll be able to see sort of what people have thought about estates in that sort of form as well. But it'd be interesting to see what people's comments are away from this table. Um, but so, so out of interest, then, Greg, you've owned the, the Master Six estate. Yes. Is that your was that your first estate? No, my first estate was an Octavia VRS. Oh, okay. That's a uh, solid choice. Yeah, that is a solid choice. Oh, so, how, so was, and what made you? sort of go for that rather than the, the hatchback the equivalent hatchback uh, again when I was in the market so that generation of Octavia Octavia was a little smaller than you saw big Passats and stuff so it was a bit easier to get around where I was living at the time again I was in the military uh, at the time I was moving between bases uh, and I just needed something that I could get on my kit in I could get the bikes on the roof I had a roof rack on the roof I could get all the stuff in the back and it was just a big practical car but also would have a bit of fun while I was at it yeah, helps with the VRS as well. Yeah. There's a VRS as well. <laughs> it wasn't exactly so, slow. That, that was, that's good. That, but I was say that's, that's interesting because my first estate was also a Skoda, but the complete opposite in that mine was, you could, it was almost verging on sort of Cadillac-esque where you could yeah. you know, push a corner down and it would ripple across the car. So that would be a superb yeah. You needed a good, yes. uh, a good seafaring stomach. <laughs> yeah. You really did. Yeah, although in fairness, mine just wobbled with the car. So it was, but it's, um, it's a case of, I, you know, I bought that because I got rid of a van uh, mm. and I, I gigged. So it was the same thing, kept carrying stuff around. Um, it was just so useful uh, in, in that regard. Um, and, and, you know, chuck an auto box on it and the whole wheelbase on the motorway just felt so safe and solid and wafty. <laughs> And that's the thing, the amount of people who I've I have helped helped out with over the, over the years, sticking stuff in, helping to move house, stick chest of drawers in, pick up boxes, pick up bits of kit, bits of cars, you know, move five people in a whole, you know, you go to the airport, you take everybody with you, you can get yeah. all your luggage in, all your family in, friends, and just go, it just does the job. Okay, I've got a question, what's the weirdest thing you've transported in your car? Oh, wow, um... Because estate cars lend themselves to moving things around. I think the weirdest thing I've ever moved in my car, well, not weirdest, but most impressive, would probably be about 120 foot's worth of marquee. <laughs> both in we- but that which was incredible, both in terms of weight and actually folding it in, managing to fit. And probably smell for damp fabric as well. Yeah, either that or about 1,500 village magazines. Like that's how, that's how I measure my car by the amount of magazines I can fit in it. But the smell of fresh, freshly printed paper is not as nice as you'd think. But uh, I've potentially got two answers for this, uh, both surrounding the Volvo 850. So one is a stockman mannequin that we collected from the V&A Museum of all places. I had a friend who was a, who worked there. She was curating a, an exhibition at the V&A, and they were throwing out they're literally in skips stockman mannequins. And we were like, oh, I haven't one of those. So we drove into central London with the 850 and we, we drove into the V&A and put a stock the mannequin in the back. <laughs> Smuggled some dead bodies out. Yeah. Well, that brings me on to the next one. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. I have, I have had a coffin in the top of the 850. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Say, so is it legal, John? Yeah. <laughs> I should probably add context. I bought a workshop, which used to be a woodworking shop that made coffins. Wow. And uh, while trying to figure out why the lights wouldn't work on a damp December evening. I was walking through the upstairs of the building with a torch um, when I tripped over said coffin. Uh, luckily, I hadn't realised what it was because it was so dark and I opened it before I realised what it was. <laughs> Otherwise, it probably would have remained shut because wow. yeah. that's a whole can of worms, literally. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to open. Yeah. Um, and so 
the following year when some friends had a Halloween party, uh, I said, oh, would you like a coffin for a Halloween party? And they thought I was joking, was going to bring like a little plastic, you know, I don't know, model type thing. Yeah. And I, I decided to put the coffin in, Incredible. in the back of the car and turned up with it and they were slightly freaked out. Yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe because it was a child's coffin. Oh, okay, yeah, no, oh, yeah. Freaky. yeah, okay. That way, now I know why you suggested this and, mad topic. Yes, yeah. and the, the strangest thing about it is we still have it because what do you do with a, an unwanted child's coffin? The it's, funeral directors didn't want it. You can't really put it for sale, can you? Without, no. no questions asked. And somebody said, "Well, why don't you just take it to the tip?" Just think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just chuck this in here. Leave it out with the recycling. Yeah, excuse yeah. me, where's the wood disposal? To get oh, oh, well, just, just stick it on the bonfire and we have the village bonfire. Again, yeah. think about that image for a second. <laughs> <laughs> just just so now you're stuck with, with this coffee. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Sorry, Greg, you're saying. No, 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 I was going to say, I can't say it's anything really, really weird. I think I've probably had some very valuable stuff in my car over the years. Uh, I've moved several million pounds worth of aircraft components in the back of my car, uh, nice. various bits and pieces. Uh, usually because we've been transiting between a base, uh, going on an exercise or something, we've had to take something with us, particularly if I've utilised my own vehicle. Uh, so I've had an auxiliary power unit for an aircraft in there. That was quite interesting. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's probably the best part of uh, three, two or three million pounds worth of uh, engine turbine in there. Oh, wow. Yeah, nothing quite. Honest. I've also, I've also uh, on the on the on the private land had uh, uh, about twelve people in the car. Well, they're people movers. You've hung off the roof of a Volvo eight fifty on a on the field before, haven't you? Yeah, private land. It's it's a free for all, isn't it? Why it's free for all. Jump on there, but so uh, so we can conclude from that that if you uh, uh, from episode one, we know that Greg doesn't like the A forty six. So if you see a Mazda on the A forty six, check what's in the boot because you may have a good field day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. eBay sale. but um so i think um what, actually just just as a complete tangent because i'm sure that time is on our side um the, the one of the estates that um doesn't get mentioned that much is do you remember when lexus did an estate oh, an, IS, sport cross. an is sport yeah. cross i'm not sure if i've heard why of that. did that never catch on it, um, it's quite a pretty car actually it, yeah. it's it's uh no absolutely but uh, it's uh, perhaps people should have a look at that, and uh, if we, we can revisit that at another time, because uh, I'm very wary that time is not on our side. Um, so I think we can conclude from that that um, that three of us were fans of estates, one of us wasn't, and we can conclude by saying three of us are still fans of estates, and one of us isn't. So we're not converted yet. But... Okay, work work to be done then. By the time <laughs> we're about seventy five percent right then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll round that on, up on average. We'll round that up to the nearest hundred. Um, well, so it leaves me to come to uh, before we go. We need to check our barge bingo. Uh, so before the show, we asked each guest to find uh, the best car uh, with a certain criteria. That criteria this week was five hundred pound bargains. Now. I found this one really easy, and I don't think the others did. Um, so I'm hoping we've all got different things. One of the things that I'm going to put out there um, really quickly, because me and Greg have already spoken about it off 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 mic. Uh, there are lots of Jaguar X types for sale under 500 quid. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Are they are they working with yes, really? working Jaguar X types? Yes, but they're, they're just Ford Mondeos Transit engine Ford Mondeos in drag. That's what they are. They are exactly. But who who would like to go first? Now? I'm happy to go last because I've got lots of backups in case um, things get chosen. <laughs> but go on, John. Uh, go on, okay. So I'm probably wind back a second as to why we've got this. So. I used to have a bit of a thing, especially uh, when I was at university, that I would never pay more than £500 for a car if I could. I always found that the cheap bargain basement cars were the best. I bought a Mercedes 190E for 100 quid, which is one of the best cars I ever bought. Um, so I thought, oh, £500 car challenge is great. Turns out uh, I'm a lot older than I realised, and £500 doesn't actually get you an awful lot these days, but there are still some interesting things out there. But, but I really struggled to find anything interesting. There was an obvious choice. I found a... Uh, Volvo V70, an early phase one. A Volvo, John. Which is a an, Volvo. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the, the V70 that was the facelift 850, essentially. Um, but I couldn't find a T5 in that bracket, so it was a 2.4 petrol, still a five-cylinder 20 cam, mm-hmm. a 20 cam, 20 valve twin cam, uh, and that was that was bang on 500 quid. Um, and the rest of it was. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, I found a micro for 450 quid, which is going to be an incredibly so, indestructible car. So, so which one was your submission? Well, I found one other thing which actually blows the budget, but I think he's incredible. And it's actually not a car, but I'm, I'm going to show you. I've just shown it to Greg. Um, £800, <laughs> sort of buying oh, a car, yeah. that's what I want. So, so I found so, for so... sale in Derby, which is a little bit interesting because that's where that's these are made. Somebody's obviously, yeah. obviously gone, well, uh, I'm going to take them with me. Lorry, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Rolls-Royce Spey uh, jet engine with stand, no less. Um, so, you know, so you can run it up in your workshop and blow the wall off the side of the building. Nice. I don't know. But uh, in, in looking for £500 cars, I found an £800 Rolls-Royce jet engine. So, so that's so, my, that's so your, my submission. Your submission is an over-budget Rolls-Royce jet engine. <laughs> yes. Thank you, John. <laughs> um, Chris, we, uh, we, as, as is going to become probably a popular, uh, uh, popular routine through here, um, your research has led to um, uh, no research. Um, <laughs> what, what have you found? Yeah, so I, I, as always, I've been a naughty boy and I've not done my homework. Um, so I'm, I'm doing it in class right now, um, and I'm not just blindly copying someone. Um, so I can, I can pose a question. Uh, would anybody like a probe? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> There's a, uh, a wonderful champagne beige Ford probe that I found for... 500 pounds and i've always kind of wondered what these are like and i i, I swear that i've never actually seen one in the metal before um mm. it, and if i have i've probably taken absolutely no notice of it. it was weird for to i know that it wasn't really introduced for the european market because they had the cougar and they had the puma didn't they in the yeah. in the yeah. in europe yeah. <laughs> yeah, it never really took off here, did it? It, no. it always makes me wonder what they're like but uh, some of the early ones look it was, it's very American. Did, I think, yeah. isn't it? did they get killed off because of Steve Coogan? I'm sure I heard somewhere that specifically him. <laughs> yeah, well, he used one in um, Alan Partridge. Alan Partridge. I Alan Partridge wrote Ford Pro, and it made right. it so deeply uncool, as was the the idea, yeah. that the sales plummeted. The, I, I don't know if this is. I, I can't verify this, but that's what I understand I, about I the Pro. I think Ford didn't really help themselves though with the fact they went right. We're going to introduce this new edge design at the same time and they, they showed off the new Focus and then went we're going to create a coupe that looks like this and then the Cougar came out and the, the, the Cougar wasn't a bad looking car and the, and the thing is for the, mm. and for the market when you look to the time the Cougar appealed to a, a market to, yeah. uh, you know I hate to say it uh, this, this, was, this, was, this was almost a little bit of a play thing it was small it was cheap it was cheerful I know a friend who had, had she had one uh, and she loves it. She wishes she still had it to stay. She says the, yeah. she says the probe, which is a bit bigger, a bit, wasn't as quick, wasn't as sharp. It, the, if you wanted a handling car, they had the Puma as well, which actually... Yeah. Well, the 1.7 1. 1. 1. Puma, Ford Racing Puma, wasn't there? That was yeah, in, so the Puma shared, yeah, not the Puma. Was, Puma. Um, yeah. Both were just more European. I mean, yeah. the Racing Puma was a wonderful thing with it. Big wide arches, the Cosworth redeveloped one. Was it I've always thought they're quite nice-looking cars. Mm. Very... Uh, sort of nicely proportioned. There's there's nothing offensive about their design. Mm. They're just very quite actually quite nice. Have you, have you ever been cars. in one? No, I haven't. I've, I have a friend called Zara. He used to have one, and she's a she's a bit of a what's the word? She's good behind the wheel, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, and when you hustle those cars, they they really do. Yeah. If you know how to hustle it, it's mm. great. So, I think that's how Kay nearly lost her license, and that's why she got rid of it. So <laughs> that's two down. Our two submissions so far are an over-budget jet engine and Ford's best coupe, of, uh, third best coupe of 1997. <laughs> so, Greg, do you want to go next? Are you happy to go next? I, I'm, I'm happy to go next because I'm, I've, I've almost stuck to this week's brief, not brief, but theme of estates. So I have picked an estate. Okay. Uh, and I have gone for a Saab 9. Five, but I've gone for a 2.3 turbo. Oh, you found one. So this Ooh. is... Show me, show me. Oh, very nice. Uh, it's, got, it's got a ticket at the moment. It's done 160,000 miles, which is not an awful lot. No, that's fine. Uh, it's had the same owner uh, since 2005. Uh, it's got full black leather interior, cruise control, all that jazz, all jazz automatic, electric windows, all that jazz. I call shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> We're all looking uh, at Greg going, and, I like this. And, and just in true fashion, you know, big, reliable estate, it's got the roof bars on it, leather interior, should be good for another 100,000 mile, 
Uh, and it's got 100, I think there were 185 brake, because I don't think it's the uh, the hot, it's the uh, the low pressure on this one. But still 185 brake uh, in a big practical yeah, Swedish absolutely. large. Yeah. Really. What's not to love? Brilliant. Well, it's interesting because I... It's 499, by the way. Which website did you yeah. find that on? That's an auto trader. See, I've obviously not looked properly on auto trader because I was looking for something along those lines and I ended up finding That's for... Uh, four hundred ninety-four pounds. This isn't my submission, but four hundred ninety-four pounds. A Saab nine five four-door two-liter turbo. So I'm really glad that you found a two point three because that's what that, that's what I was really sort of looking for. But um, okay, I have I found five, <laughs> 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 um, and they all have different merits to them. So I've already said about one of the Saabs. I know what my submission is going to be, and I think like Greg, I'm going to uh, go for something that actually, if I was spending my money on these five cars, this is the one I buy, and it is an estate. Um, Mention the Saab, honourable mentions for you here. Okay, first of all, you can definitely get, for good for, for £500, uh, you can get yourself a, a Ford Mondeo. That that goes without saying. And I found a really clean, uh, annoyingly the picture won't load, I'm trying to do this live in front of people, but the picture won't load. Uh, it's a, a £500, 2004 Ford Mondeo by a dealer. Uh, it says, new in stock, uh, good runner. And 04 plate. Like that, it's a clean, perfectly two liter. I mean, you really can't knock it. For it's dull as hell, but it, you it, could daily it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a suitable daily. So it's rom seal. It's going to do what, what yeah. you know, what and you they, need. Uh, and they handled well enough. for the time. They, they handled well enough. Yeah, exactly. In so, fact, that's just reminded me that. I've actually discounted a car from my motoring history because it was that unreliable. I had, had a Ford, I had a Ford one day and I completely of, forgot of, of, it. Of you actually blanked it out. So the, the, other one, the, the other one that I found, which once again, pictures aren't working that well, um, I did find um, a, a, another honourable mention, a 1.6 litre five-door orange Honda HRV. Uh, which looks, I've forgotten existed. Cool. So that looks identical to one that I helped my flatmate at the time in Essex go and look at in Hackney, and and we bought it and we drove it back, um, and I think I think we probably paid about six hundred pounds for it. So I mean, this um, one's on for five hundred pounds, yeah. but it's you know, it's just something you're not bad. Four hundred ninety pounds. It's ten quid to stick in in fuel. Well, yeah. and, it, and, it, and it's a Honda, so you know what? It probably yeah. will keep. Well, yeah. well, she had a couple of dogs, and it was perfect for that kind of thing. It's uh, you know, the, yeah. the room in the back is great. So, that's a for, I was going to say that is a forgotten. I had completely yeah. forgotten yeah. about that car. So that, those are my honourable mentions, and this is where I was going to try and show you my actual choice, but I don't think it's going to load, which is really annoying. And offer an honourable um, mention in there as well while he's letting it load. Is I actually found a couple of the Hyundai coupes are starting to creep into five hundred pound yeah. packets really? or there or thereabouts. Bear in mind they're a bit tatty. I discounted one because it. It was a bit uh, dubious as to whether it was running or not properly. <laughs> has an uh, MOT. I think it, no, I think it needed a clutch. Uh, what I read, it was reading into the depths of it. But you could start to see some ratty coupes started to appear into that that bracket now, and they were, mm. you know, a bit of a bit of fun at the time, cheap fun. No, absolutely. So I'm going to go down a very boring route for my actual choice, but I think it's actually very clean. For three hundred pounds, do you uh, need do you need a, 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 an adenoid, uh, adenoidal voice on? Uh, oh, it's a uh, very clean Rover two hundred. Well, it's uh, it's not a Rover, but it's about as dull and reliable as you can get for three hundred pounds. It's a Peugeot. I saw that one. A Peugeot four hundred six Estate yes. with the two liter HDI engine with nav because it's an end of line 04 no. 2004 model. It's got no. nav and it's done. Just a hundred and ninety thousand miles. Wait, wait, you said clean. It's good as big. It's, it's it's been mashed the back all the way down the side. <laughs> it's plastic trim. It's not a problem. But it's a fifty-three plate, and and, and more importantly, it's clean on the inside. It's, it's got half leather. Yeah, yeah. It's a Spanish gearbox. Uh, it's <laughs> at one hundred and ninety thousand miles. But it's got nav that talks to you because it hasn't got a screen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fair play back in the day, though, back when they came out in 94, I think it was 94, 95, around NREG, PREG, they came out. They were, compared to Vauxhall Cavalier, early Vectra, Ford Bondea, mm. 
they were one of the cars to have. They were cracking it pieces. Was, yeah. It mm. was that kind of last swan song before Persia seemed to lose yeah, their way. Yeah, 406, 306, the original now, 206 and 106. And then they great, went into good cars, actually. The 406 is a good-looking car as well, because the 406 Coupe, I've always had a bit of a soft spot. Yeah. Like yeah. Well, I mean, Pininfarina one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, they're sort of almost separate, aren't yeah. they? Because they're, they're 406 by name, but... Not by, but there's not kind of like cool by association, now, I think. Yeah, kind of shall, going on. Shall yeah. I now come completely clean why it's three hundred pounds oh, for, for transparency? Because the rule were, was that it has to have an MOT and be running. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. This car is an excellent runner. Good on fuel. Tick. Needs a bit of maintenance and repair. Fine. Steering rack is leaking fluid. Also has warning lights on, EGR and airbag. But I've driven the car for miles and had no problems. Uh, cam belt done, nearly new Bridgestone tyres, also aircon not working, leaking system, fan not working on heater, loose connection. Apart from this, all okay. Grey, three owners. It has an MOT, it runs, it just runs with more light bulbs on the dashboard than it's meant to. I mean, now, you see, I probably should complain about the Saab then, really. Cause... <laughs> Here we go. Before you do that, I also have some coming clean to, to do. So. We're all coming clean today. But the Saab has, didn't have any. Uh, I don't think I saw any warning lights on it, but he did say that it, ha- it used a little bit of oil, so obviously the turbo is getting a bit uh, ropey towards the end of its life. Uh, it says there's a bit of rust on it here, there, and the aircon didn't work on it. He did; he was honest about that. But uh, yeah, I think I think 500 pounds you're going to get some foibles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also running. Yeah, Chris, yeah. what's your? Uh... Well, mine has no mention of the MOT, so it, it's a good runner. Um, I've I've assumed. In the positive, not the negative. Okay. Do but, we know the number plate? Uh, oh, no. Now we're actually really going to find out, aren't we? Uh, well, it doesn't <laughs> seem mean, to have one. It doesn't not, have not, one. not that it matters, because my entry doesn't actually count. Oh, oh that looks like a number That's plate. A number in the plate. footwell. Oh, it's an illegal font. Uh, hold P, on, hold on, hold on. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, go on. P23. Yeah, OEV. That doesn't even sound legal, does no, it? it doesn't sound I think like it might be P two three. But it's yeah. Ford Gold. Oh, it was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Gold. Uh, MOT expired in two thousand eighteen. Oh. oh. <laughs> so we so we have to eliminate your candidate. Yeah, but I know a place. <laughs> but but interestingly, I think I don't know about cool. you. I'm, I'm going to yeah. throw this out here as probably a little bit of an ender. Maybe is. Now, if you had that £500, as much as these are interesting, there was one car I discounted, but I will probably go and buy if I had to be sensible. And that there was an 03 plate Toyota Avensis. Uh, yeah. 1.8 VVTI, one owner, 130,000 miles. Everything worked and a full year's MOT, and it just looked immaculate. You know, you could get in it. Drive. I bet you do another hundred and thirty thousand yeah, miles mile. and yeah. still sell it for yeah. five hundred quid. Yeah. And it's boring as sin, but yeah, it you, does the job, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. So, so there we go. We'll we'll put them on obviously the social media platforms. You can have uh, either a Saab that's running a little bit hot, uh, a Peugeot that's running hot because the aircon doesn't work, <laughs> uh, or a jet engine. Um, but you have to put three hundred pounds of your own money. So, so Chris has been counted out because <laughs> there's no MOT, Chris, but I'm still in, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. Yeah, well, it, it has no MOT. <laughs> it doesn't oh, need one. It's, it's exempt. Um, ah, so, might yeah. be an airworthiness certificate. So it just leaves me to say, obviously, thank you, uh, thank you, Chris and Greg, for joining us uh, again. Uh, we will be back uh, in a week's time for episode three. We're going to think up some more subjects to have a discussion about. Uh, make sure that you like and subscribe Automotive Tales and Automotive Anecdotes available on all your regular podcast uh, streaming services and obviously on YouTube. Yes, and check out the videos on YouTube as well. So we've got all sorts of stuff going on there from uh, tall tale videos where we're talking through people's car stories uh, and also uh, our T5 Rescue, which is our current project car. Perfect. Brilliant. We will see you again very soon. Have a lovely week. See you next week. Ta-da!